right, hello and welcome to another episode of the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. It's into myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's things? Yeah, good. Took my daughter to her first football match of the weekend. It's a big moment. Yeah, went to St. James Park to see Newcastle women play uh, Portsmouth. She really liked it. It was just quite... I feel like we've got quite good footballing dialogue. I feel like we're quite... We know all the lingo, if you know what I mean. But then when you try to have to explain stuff to a three-year-old, you have to like... It's, it's, it's very, very different. I think mean, she was most interested. I was trying to explain yellow cards and I was like, oh, if she gets another card, she'll have to go and sit on the Norwich seat. And then, like, <laughs> <laughs> and that was the thing that's interesting the most. She was talking about all the time. She said, oh, she pushed her over. She's going to sit on the Norwich seat. That was the thing that she took away from the game. <laughs> but it was good. That was really, really, really good. Good to take that off the list and hopefully she'll go to some more. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, ex- it's an exciting moment. And good to uh, understand early the idea of... Uh, Players getting sent off. She's going to get in. She's going to get into Portuguese football. And of course, you're then going to have to explain managers getting sent off, and that's a whole that's a whole other world. So for her sake, I'd say keep her away from. Daddy, who's that man in a suit? <laughs> I've never seen before. That's <laughs> the yellow card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It could all get uh, could get very difficult to explain. How are you, man? You good? Yeah, good. Very good. Yeah. Um, more obviously, lots of footballing stuff happening at the weekend. Um. Went to Oxford United to watch uh, late United versus Oxford on Saturday, which is very good. Late United got a win. Um, anyone, long-term listeners to the show will know that. Late United, that's my English team that I follow, if I can, home and away. So, uh, big game on Saturday. But I was playing on Sunday. Um, I, I also play regularly. And I found myself, Barney, having one of those those days because the, uh, the, the group of lads that I play with, um, it's actually sort of for... for for the better, kind of improved. We're now getting regular big numbers so that we're playing nine-a-side football, which is um, quite uh, formal compared to what we used to do, which is sort of five-a-side, you know. Um, but it has meant that tactics have come into the game, which is kind of a new uh, a new thing for us because, you know, with five-a-side, it's just you've got four outfield players, everyone plays everywhere. It doesn't really matter. It's a tiny pitch. Yeah, yeah. Nine-a-side, quite a big pitch. You've got eight outfield players, um, and so you've got to think about formations. You've got to start thinking about tactics. And I found myself, Barney, having one of those those moments that afterwards I was trying to tell myself, um, tell myself not to do. But I was, I was thinking, lads, why are we going long? Let's play. <laughs> Let's play football. Because <laughs> we were, we were, we were four two down, and we were chasing the game, and I and my teammates were just going long, and I was like, "Lads, let's just play, work it side to side." Anyway, I felt like a bit of a muppet afterwards, but it's easy to fall into that trap, isn't it? Everyone thinks they're an expert <laughs> when they start playing. <laughs> Keep it on the deck. Oh, Keep it on the deck. It. Absolutely. I was trying to think which Portuguese manager do I model my game off. Um, there were quite a few Paolo Sergios on my team. Let's just say that players who are. Yeah, just not, not trying to play the beautiful game, <laughs> shall we say? Yeah. All right. Well, uh, enough of that, because of course we are here to talk about Portuguese football and the Premier League, and what was, I think, arguably the best weekend of Premier League football of the of the season so far. Some really uh, some great results, some upsets, uh, which will come on to some big score lines, which we're going to cover. Um, First thing to say just quickly is that, uh, unfortunately, because of my schedule, we are having to record this on a Monday night, not a Tuesday, which means we won't be able to cover Braga versus Boavista, which is kicking off in about 10 minutes. But depending on uh, on how long we record for, we might be able to touch on it in the uh, uh, bonus podcast, which we record after this. So anyone who's uh, 
subscribes to that will we'll maybe hear a bit on uh, the Braga match because that could be quite an important one. I did want to discuss it after, obviously, their uh, defeat in Europe. But um, yeah, we won't be able to get onto it in this podcast. But that does bring me quite nicely onto, as always, our little reminder that if you do enjoy listening to the show, if you've listened to a few episodes already this year, maybe you're a long-term listener, maybe you're a new listener who's uh, listened a few times already, uh, and you want to do something to support the show, um, there's little things that you can do, such as uh, leaving us reviews on the various podcast app, whichever one that you use. Maybe there's a star rating or review system that they use. That's always gratefully received. Of course, just spreading the word about the podcast whether that's on social media, on Twitter, uh, where we post regularly, or even just sending a link to the podcast to to one of your friends that you think might enjoy it. Um, spreading the news of the podcast by word of mouth is hugely valuable to us. Um, and of course, anyone who really wants to get involved can do so by becoming a long ball football socio on our Patreon page. That's just £1 a month. Uh, and as I alluded to, it gives you access to our weekly bonus podcast. That's a preview podcast of all the upcoming weekend's action. Gives you some little tips for fantasy football or betting or whatever it is that you do. Uh, also just a nice uh, little bonus podcast where me and Barney chat about stuff we didn't get a chance to talk about on the main pod. We also have our weekly predictions league, which is really, really popular, really fun uh, way for our members to to get involved. And monthly watch-longs, which we did last week for uh, Aruka, excuse me, Sporting versus Morens. Um, and that's a good way to meet other people in the community and chat to us and watch some football. So there's a lot happening on the Patreon. Definitely check that out if uh, if you're interested and it's only £1 a month. Um but let's get straight into the football. That's what we're all here for. And I want to start, Barney, with Sporting, who travelled to Villa de Con to face uh, Rio Ave in the green and white striped derby. I need to come up with a better name for it than that. Um, but as has been the case in the last few weeks, um, ever since Sporting missed that game against Family Cow, um, they knew that they needed to win in order to keep on level points with Benfica, albeit with a game in hand. But they were really tested by an excellent Rio Ave side who have been growing in confidence ever since the January transfer window allowed them to sign some much-needed reinforcements. Um, they went behind inside two minutes when Rio Ave scored. Um, the game didn't get much easier for them at any point after that. They found themselves 3-2 down in the second half after a game full of drama and were able to grab an equaliser with 20 minutes to play, but unable to find uh, a winner in the last 20 minutes or so of the game. So, as I mentioned, uh, they do have a game in hand on Benfica, but they now uh, sit two points behind them, knowing that a win in that game in hand will put them one point back ahead of the top of the table. It's all getting very complicated, Barney, but I think it's fair to say that this was a very, very tricky game um, two points dropped, you have to say. And it does put, I think, a lot of pressure on them in terms of the title race, even though they know that if they win that game in hand, they still go top of the table. Yeah, well, I think we saw another good display from Lewis Freire, uh, the Rio Ave manager, who once again made it very hard for one of the big teams to play uh, play against Rio Ave. When you look at Sporting's defence, you know, quite often this season, we've we've been praising players like Diamonde and Charisma for, they'd love you to try and get past them. But, um, um they usually come away with a tackle. When we were sort of getting the ball behind Sporting's back line, that's when they were causing more, the most problems. You know, Yakubas, he's got through a few times. Um, and I just, I'm just thinking of the chances that they had. It just seemed to be that 
was a really good option for them. And also by sticking with the five at the back, as they usually do, you know, that made it quite hard for Sporting as well to find space. So it's just, it played out really nicely for Rio Ave. And obviously that early goal really did help them. And it just, I don't know, it just sort of played into everything that was going around. I saw Aaron talking before this game, you know, highlighting the potential weather as being a sort of a tricky thing for it, uh, for the game. And just, I don't know, maybe just there was too many, too much, too much negativity. Maybe that's too much to say, but I think the point I'm trying to make messily here, Albert, is, you know, trying to heap praise on Lewis Freer because I think once again, we saw a really good blueprint, if you like, of how to play against the big teams and, 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 and not just playing against a big team, but they've been quite smart in identifying areas and weaknesses of the, 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 these big teams and, and how they can uh, capitalise on that. I'll, I'll bring Adnan into the mix as well because he came under a lot of flack in this game, the sporting goalkeeper who made a, well, he just looked so cagey. It's, you know, so all over the place. He, you know, I saw a really interesting graphic, which was the uh, Adnan stats um from 2020, which was the, the year that Sporting won the league, and then compared that to Adam's stats since that Marseille game in Europe where he made a couple of howlers, and and since then, it's almost like a completely different player. He's he's drastically underperforming any sort of like expected goals against, or you know, he's just just a you could just say a completely different keeper. We've we've spoken about him a few times this season. I think Sporting fans tend to speak about him more so than us because of, well, they obviously watch every week, but it doesn't feel as, as an important subject for us in this podcast, but I don't know. It feels like this was a, a moment and, and couple that, I think if he plays two more games, he gets an automatic contract renewal. Just to throw that in the mix as well. So there's, I don't know. I've said a lot there, Albert, but I think, um, yeah, I think uh, perhaps we're looking for people to blame for this disappointing sporting performance. Well, I think Adan is definitely um, emblematic, really, of 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 Sporting's performance. He was really poor. He got, I don't know if you saw this, he got a goal point rating of 2.4 out of 10. That was quite amusing. Um, the slightly more uh, balanced sofa score gave him 5.4 out of 10, which is still pretty dreadful. Just on that, sorry, the goal point thing, I saw um, goal point were releasing the average scores for all the goalkeepers in the league. And interestingly in that, Adnan's rock bottom, um, which I think is quite, yeah, just just to add fuel to the Sadlan chat. But yeah, that's that's quite a damning statistic. Yeah, no, he he had a very poor game, and he has had poor games on multiple occasions and made big mistakes multiple times now. Um, I do think he wasn't the only sporting player who had a poor game. I think, in fact, that the story of of this game from a sporting's perspective was a team making far too many mistakes. Um, I think. To look at other players, I think for me, Pedro Gonçalves is at fault for the first goal. I think he loses the ball in midfield and and sets Rio Ab off on the on the counter attack. And obviously, look, that said, it's a wonderful finish from Embolo, who who had an awful lot to do and really put it, really it was a sublime finish for the first goal. But for me, I think that comes from Pedro Gonçalves holding onto the ball too much midfield, losing the ball, looking for a foul which he doesn't get. Um, very very poor defending from Nuno Santos for the. For the first penalty, um, I know that he's not an, a natural defender. He's more of a winger playing fullback. But for me, that was very, very amateurish defending. Um, and then, of course, as you said, a host of mistakes from from the goalkeeper. 
um, one of which led to a goal-scoring chance in the first half, which they didn't, which Rio Ave didn't take but should have taken, and then one of which led to uh, the Rio Ave penalty, which gave them their their third goal. So, in many ways, for me, I think Sporting really made a, a, a rod for their own back. Um, obviously, Rio Ave played very well, and I think they they had to force Sporting into those mistakes in the first place. And I think Rio Ave gave themselves a really good platform. Uh, to build off by being very positive um, and very aggressive, um, not in a negative way, you know, aggressive in a good way that they got really stuck in, not letting Sporting settle for a second. They gave themselves, like I said, that good platform to build off. Um, they made their own mistakes, Rio have most notably for obviously Sporting's second goal. That was a real kind of freak accident that gifted Victor Jokic an easy finish. But I think if you're being being realistic, I think... Rio Ave could have scored three goals in the first half alone and pretty much all of those opportunities came from sporting mistakes. So obviously Rio Ave done very well, but sporting, I thought we saw an uncharacteristically sloppy side to sporting in this game, which we haven't really seen um, in a little while. I think it's interesting that you highlighted um, Nuno Santos because actually one thing I remember, it was back when um, they bought, uh, they beat Porto 2-0. I remember around that time I was we were giving a lot of praise to Amarin's selection. Uh, in particular, I thought it was really smart in that Porto game, which is one where he played with Tess Reese and on that left wing backwards, although, you know, we've, we've come, which was sort of a interesting thing because New Sounds has been doing so well in the left wing back position. Also, you can say on the other side, there's always Jenny Katamo, um, who's been coming in at right wing back. We've been praising that decision on a few occasions recently. But when you're coming up against Rio Ave with Costina, who's arguably the best right wing back in the league, um, you know, I, I, I don't think that's too bold to say. The, you know, those, those are the areas where you should be looking to maybe, as he did against Porto, play someone a bit more defensive minded than uh, Nuno Santos. Um, it's not, it didn't surprise that Nuno, Nuno Santos ends up coming off as well. And Shirley Katama as well, the player, we, you know, he's great going forward. But as I said at the beginning, you know, they were finding spaces where the strikers, the two strikers were out, were able to sort of get either side of those three centre backs and. Casimir not naturally that defensive minded or can perhaps didn't see the danger so that's where they were getting some joy it's you spoke well at the beginning about how this felt quite despite them only being two points off Benfica with that game in hand it still feels like quite a big moment for Sporting I think you've got to add to that you know Trincao came off injured Ignacio came off injured it just felt like um, and with the changes Emran made in this game it felt like he wasn't able to fight that solution to get the winner because they did have time. You know, they had like when they equalized it, what was it, 70 or 80 minutes? There was a bit of time to find that equalizer, but they weren't able to do it. So, yeah, this is a really, it just really hits them. It hits the momentum to a halt, really, because they were really building something. And, um, yeah, this, this, uh, we were able to really stop them in their tracks. I mean, this is what I wanted to talk to you about, really, because. This result, I think, really does add another dimension to the title race in a sense that, you know, Sporting, crucially, still have that game in hand and know that if they win that game, it will put them one point ahead of Benfica at the top of the table. Uh, and in that sense, the the power is still in Sporting's hand. But the, what I think I want to ask you is that, does it really feel like that? Because I think it does add a lot of pressure to Sporting because they are now the ones chasing the leaders, despite having that game in hand. They know they cannot afford to drop any more points. But to be fair, neither can Benfica. It's tricky because 
that game against Family Cow, which was suspended for reasons completely outside of their control, not something that they wanted. Um, they would not have asked for that game to be cancelled and to be put in this position if they if they could have chosen. They would have much preferred to have been on level games with Benfica and leading the league because I think psychologically it's a very different prospect to be the team leading and the team chasing. So it does add a very kind of a different dynamic to to sporting season one that's going to make it very interesting but you know a lot of pressure for sporting but equally for for perhaps us as neutrals and teams outside of it it's great it is good to be seeing a a, a title race this tight at this point in the season which i feel like we haven't quite had for for a few years no it does feel very tight very close between the two i know we're going to support, speak up benfica in a moment but I, I do remember speaking about sporting in previous seasons around this time of year and think talking about that whole mentality thing as you alluded to, you know, who who's better at chasing, who's better at leading. And I think sporting I've usually felt like sporting are better when they're were ahead than they so as they were in the, uh, for most of that title winning season a few years back. Um yeah, it, it it's um it's gonna be right to the wire. I think um I, I think it's, they, they, it's how they bounce back because I think they drew in the, although it was a, a draw that saw them through to the next stage of the Europa League, um, it's the first time this season that they drew, drew two games in a row. Um, this this one and uh, the one against uh, the young, uh, against young boys. So, yeah. But I also seem to remember we talk about little blips for sporting around this time of this season as well in previous years. So, it's going to be very interesting how they come out of this. Um it's not the end of the world because, like I said at the beginning, I think we are a very good team who have given all the big teams a, a, a good game this season. So, yeah, it, maybe we shouldn't heap too much negativity on this, but Amarin's got to find a way to get those players back up and, and, and bounce back from this. And I hate to do it, Barney, but if we don't do it, nobody will. But I do remember saying in January that we will have a team to keep an eye on. So, uh, you know, just putting that out there. Um all right, well, let's uh, let's talk about another game, Barney, because there was further frustration at the top of the table as Porto were held to a 1-1 draw away at Gil Vicente. They led 1-0 for most of the second half, but couldn't find that second goal to kill off the game despite multiple chances uh, and let in a pretty soft equalising goal for Gil Vicente in the dying minutes of stoppage time. Um, it's, it's funny how... Quickly, things can change in football, isn't it, Barney? Because just a few days earlier, they were absolutely flying high off the back of a, a late stoppage time goal in their favour against Arsenal in the, in the Europa League, but uh, in the Champions League. But uh, this time, it was Gilles Vicente's turn to get one over on them, thanks to uh, a, a very, very late equaliser. I think just a, I'll just go straight in now, but because um, it was. You know, it was, it was great to watch them in against Arsenal, and it was a, an amazing game. And Galeno got a wonderful goal. So in this game, Galeno doesn't start; he comes on in the second half. Um, but I, I, he's for me, he's the one at fault for this Jurgen Klinsmann because there's no inkling or there's no sign of him ever, like thinking about him having to come back. And Wendell's then left two two against one, and uh, which is why Wendell struggles to get back and for the for the overlap for Jurgen And I just think. I don't know. It just this is this typical Porter, isn't it? Where they can be so, um, so good in Champions League and so up for it, and then there's a moment like that for 
and Galeno right at the last minute scoring that curler and like and then in this game he just can't be bothered to get back and, and, and cover. I think it was you know Conchita was furious. I don't know if maybe I'm being too harsh on Galeno because he was quite far away, but still it's you know if, if you're, you you've got fresh legs, you've, you've come in as a substitute, you know, you, you've got to have that energy to to cover. And there was plenty I think there was enough time for him to see the danger appearing. Um yeah, they'll be they'll be very disappointed in this because you obviously haven't been very good at all this season. I think they're getting into a bit of a groove. Uh, they did very well to to stay in this game. Um, Andrew, the goalkeeper, played pulled off some very good saves. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a real kicker for Porto to lose it that late. Um, and I think yeah, it's it's almost uncharacteristically like them. It's, it's just what they because it's exactly the opposite of what happened in Europe. Well, I think. For me, for me, Barney, the the story the story of this game is incredibly simple, right? Porto have seven shots on target and an XG of three point one nine. Gilvesant have one shot on target all game um, and an XG of 0.46, and yet the game ends one one, right? And I do think that that is no in no small part down to one man, um, Andrew in the Gilvesant net who made six saves in the game including um a, a, including a penalty save which is, is, is it's very unlucky for him because Evan Ilshan happens to tap in the rebound but and that kind of takes away from the the initial save but I think that almost summed up a this, the performance that we we saw from from Andrew I mean he's a he's a keeper that we talked about a lot on his podcast both last season when he put in great performances and and this season and in a game where he was sharing a pitch with with Diogo Costa, um, who's got something like a 60 million euro release clause. He's been linked with big Premier League clubs. He's played for the Portugal national team. Andrew is the best goalkeeper in the pitch uh, for this game. Um, And his individual performance earned Porto a point. Whereas, I'm not sure, I hate to say it, Barney, I feel like Diogo Costa made a a bit of a mess for the Gil Vicente goal. I think he could have done better. I think he could have come and claimed the cross. Um, Perhaps no more or less at fault than Galeno, who I agree Galeno could get back, but I think it's a slightly different situation for Galeno, who's been sent on the pitch not to defend at the back post, but to go out and get Porto a goal, right? That's why he's been sent on the pitch. So I don't blame him too much. But look, I just think it was, you know, <laughs> the performance was summed up by the fact that Porto had seven shots on target and, and only scored once. And I think for Porto, against a team like Gilles Percent, one goal from seven shots on target is not good enough. And if they score two or three goals in the second half, we're not even talking about this late Silverstone consolation, which is what it would have been. But as the game stood only 1-0, then it got Silverstone a point and it puts Porto even further back in the, not even the title race, but in the race for the Champions League football, which is so important for them. Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> I think Conchasau, um, Francisco Conchasau, sorry, um, I've just been, you know, he's been getting a lot of plaudits recently. I remember hearing even in the commentary in the Arsenal game, they were sort of heaping the praise on him of, of being such a, a dangerous player. But I still think he's got that another level to go in terms of providing or, or, or getting goals himself. You know, he had, he had one or two opportunities. I think one went the outside of the post. And yeah, I think he needs to make that step up in terms of goal contributions and to, to help this poor side. Um, Pepe as well, he had a really good opportunity, but he tried. To, I guess with, with Andrew playing so well, he thought the only thing he could do was ding it over him and he just went too high. Um, that was disappointing. I mean, yeah, and not even Jamie, nice to see him get an opportunity, but he 
couldn't quite do anything either. I, they, they certainly lost something when Alan Varela came off the pitch at half-time and Estacchio came in. I just feel that midfield with Gujic and Estacchio, I think that's what it ended up in being. Um, you know, you, you can't fault Estacchio for making all those runs and stuff, but there's there's a certain quality lacking there when, when, when I think him and Gujic were in that midfield as well. So, yeah, I mean... It's a it's a story. It's, it's like Porto of old. I think, but you know, we've come back. We've come off the back of the Arsenal game, being like, oh, Porto, man. You know, this is them. But we can't forget the Porto we've seen most of the season, which is exactly as you described. Our un, underperforming in terms of XG, not getting enough goals from the chances they're creating, um, lacking that sort of clinicality. You could say, oh, I don't know. It, that that's just that's been their story all season, and we should we shouldn't forget that. That's that's an underlying issue they've, they've had all year. Mm, absolutely and I think it is a bit of a shame because they came off the back of that Arsenal win on such a high and they would have wanted to take that positivity into the second leg because going to the Emirates to play Arsenal in the Champions League is going to be difficult enough as it is but doing that when you know really this will be such a dif- so deflating to the dressing room this result that you know you worry that it will have repercussions for the rest of their season not just in the league but also in Europe so you know that's why I think it's I've, that's why I think this is actually quite such a damaging result because it doesn't just reflect a, a bad performance on the pitch. It doesn't just reflect the problems that they've been having all season that that haven't improved. Um, I think it also kind of really puts their season in a, in a bad place, which I could be wrong. You know, maybe they'll bounce back from this really well and, and get a good result from Arsenal and maybe that will transform their season. But it is just so disappointing, this result, after what was such a high... Um, Midweek. Although um, I, I do want to touch on one positive for Porto Barney. I'm sure you're going to agree with this. Um, and for me, that was their man of the match, who was Otavio in, in defence. Um, not just in this game, but midweek against Arsenal as well. I thought he looked immense. Incredible. He, he, his game against Arsenal was his first start for Porto and, and he just looked absolutely fantastic. He looks like um, the quality defender that they've needed to play alongside Pep for, for so long. Um, tall, strong, powerful, quick, calm. Um, had a good chance as well himself to score. I mean, obviously oh. he can't really do much about his 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 teammates not scoring, but he had a good opportunity, which he was almost very unlucky not to go in. That was a wonderful piece of defending. I think it was headed off the line, basically uh, his chance. Um, so I thought he looked really fantastic, and you know that for me is is a real positive. I mean, there are there are there are positives for Porto in the sense that they've got talented players. Um, we know that they can win big games, but. It's not it's not good enough for a team to only get themselves up for for big games in the Champions League. You know, if they're gonna if they're gonna win a league title, if they're gonna win cup finals, then they're gonna have to play well against even little old Gil Vicente away, which is a game in between two Arsenal fixtures, which the players probably saw as a bit of an inconvenience. But by by not taking perhaps I'm not gonna say not taking it seriously, but by not doing the job that they needed to do in a less important game, it's really put their season uh, in a bad position. I think um, we do need to praise, praise your Vicente for the game they played as well. They sort of left out the likes of Maxime Dominguez and Fujimoto on the bench and, you know, no out-and-out striker once again. But having that bit more stability in midfield, you know, allowed them to keep it as close as they did, you know, 1-0. And then, then they made the changes later on in the game to sort of push and push for that equaliser that obviously came off. So I think that their game plan was really good for this. And I think I, I still, you know, they they 
the draw here's good. The, the win against Estra the week before was big for them as well because they had gone on a three-game losing streak. But, they, you know, when you look back at their more recent results and we had really thought that um, Campelos was out the door, um, you know, he I think they're... He's 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 adapted. He's changed things around, and he's, he's I think he's starting to get things going again for them. Uh, despite the the three losses in the last five, you know, I, I still think they 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 turned a, a slight corner, you could say. And I think that's um and this 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 result sort of shows that you know they weren't they weren't they weren't completely blown away by Porto. They kept themselves in it, albeit from the heroics of Andrew, but still, you know, that, that that's going to happen. And they they did both come away with the, the draw. Yeah, and I, I like that. Just ending on again that another word for Andrew, who I think it is important to reiterate that he for me was really man of the match and showed his class and and what a wonderful goalkeeper that that they've got on their hands and really really a joy to watch. Um, let's move on then, Barney, because uh, there were no such frustrations for Benfica who comfortably dispatched Portman's 4-0 at this stadium to lose. That said, they were made to wait until the second half to get all of their goals. Some great goalkeeping, some last-ditch defending, kept the scoreline to 0-0 after 45 minutes. But to use a cliche, the floodgates opened in the second half and two goals for Rafa and a goal each for Di Maria and David Neres rounded off a very comprehensive, very pleasing win for uh, Benfica, which, as it stands, leaves them top of the table. Yeah, you said there was no frustrations, but I think at half time um, there was quite a few whistles from the Benfica fans, frustrated <laughs> with the, the lack of goals. And I, I, I mean, finally, because... to be fair, if Aruka were 0 0 down to Portimonense at half time, I think the Aruka fans would be whistling. <laughs> Come on. Well, the, the last time it, the first half finished 0 0 between those two teams was that famous Portimonense win at the Toulouse. So I wonder if that was as fresh <laughs> in the memory of those Benfica fans. Um, Paolo think, Sergio uh, masterclass. Sorry, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I don't know who to praise uh, for the the performance in the second half, or whether it was Schmidt. I mean, first thing first, I'll say I I really liked the fact that um, he went with this eleven with Rafa playing as the, the man up top, Jao Mario in that number ten role with uh, Neres and Di Maria either side of him. I thought that just brought well. Eventually, it brought really fluid attack right because I think in that second half we saw much more flexibility from those players you know Di Maria was coming into more central spaces uh, Rafa obviously was was everywhere and they were just it's almost as if they worked out that Portman's back line because they were quite they were almost like a wall at Portman's back line but in the second half I saw that they came out a bit more as I said fluid and, and that sort of, sort of created the spaces for them I mean to be to look specifically at the finishes, Rafa's first goal was that from that, you know, sort of came out to him and he hit it with the outside of his foot. Mm. If he if he didn't hit it with the outside of his foot, I think Nakamura would make would have made the save. I think that was just it just completely took Nakamura off guard. That sort of not the audacity, but you know, the, the what's he you know from that angle mm. going from the outside of his foot to put it into the near bottom corner. I just thought it was you know and and just highlights again the sort of form that Rafa's in and his his ability. And then um and then Neres as well. Neres's goal when he runs them through. He could have gone down. He could have got the the penalty, probably got the Portsmouth's uh, defenders sent off, kept on his feet, took it past the keeper, and then the no look finish. I mean, you know, we've just been talking about sporting and the and the disappointing draw. Benfica just seemed full of confidence and and, and when we're talking about momentum these things are really important at the moment and for this for Schmidt to have 
been flexible and, and as I said in, in putting out a slightly different level with no striker and to, to be paid back with, with these performances and have players like Neres and Rafa just brimming with confidence it, it just it all looks very very good for them at the moment mm. and I don't know Barney I just feel like not to be contrarian but I, I kind of feel like my favourite goal was the uh, was the Di Maria goal I think that's a really underrated goal because it was uh, a wonderful wonderful outside of the boot cross from Rafa so he scores an assist with the outside of his boot across the goal and then ugh, it's the touch from Di Maria just the the outside of the boot it's not even a shot just he allows the ball to touch onto the side of his foot and, and it control past the keeper that was a, a moment of real quality but four quality goals um do you, know, do you know what I was thinking during this game Bonnie I was thinking because Rafa was the man of the match and he was the best player on the pitch and I was thinking that it's about this time every season where we're having conversations about Rafa going missing, right? It's about this time after the January transfer window when he's not moved away and maybe they've not signed too many exciting players, maybe they've sold players, that he starts to, I don't know, maybe it's a bit unfair, but from the outside looking in, perhaps it looks like he's losing interest. Maybe it's not exciting enough for him. Exciting enough for him. Um, but this game, he was he was absolutely magnificent. It was two goals, wonderful assist, like I mentioned. But he, he seems to be really engaged as a player at the moment. You know, we've spoken in the past about him switching off. Maybe he feels like, well, maybe he feels like the team isn't performing the way he wants. Maybe he feels like he hasn't got the players around him to, to, to contribute in the way that he wants. But, you know, it's a really good sign that we're looking at a Benfica team with so many players of the likes of... Uh, Rafa, Angel Di Maria, David Neres um, on his level uh, all of them pushing each other to maintain high standards um, and I think Benfica as a whole are but certainly Rafa I think is benefiting from something that Benfica perhaps haven't had in a while but perhaps a good dressing room culture you know maybe this is something we haven't given them credit for and we haven't given Schmidt credit for is building a team who clearly look to be quite committed and the top players are all pulling their weight and it looks like a, a very healthy dressing room that that wants to win, and 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 all the players are are digging in to get those results. And you know you can contrast this performance from Benfica with Porto at, at Gil Vicente, who kind of looked a bit lackluster, lackluster, and really struggled. But Benfica go into these games against smaller teams, and you just never feel like they're really ever gonna ever gonna do anything other than win and win convincingly. Yeah, I mean, you know. We, we... You mentioned Nero's coming back into the team. Alexander Barr as well, coming over right back has really helped him. And spent hours can play left back where Morato had been playing. And although he had his moments, I think obviously, you know, Morato's um, lack of attacking intent, if you will. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, I don't know. It, it, this, it's, it's moments like this, isn't it, where you sort of, with, with an almost full, uh, full, full strength squad. And you know this is why Benfica made those moves in the summer, and then it hasn't. We shouldn't forget that you know had they haven't had all these players um, available for. There's been some long absentees, and maybe that's uh, sort of um, come hand in hand with their those moments where we've sort of discussed whether they're struggling. But um, with, with all these players back in and, and that lineup, which I really like, and also just to praise João Mario because I think he did a really good job in that number ten role. Playing centrally, um, he 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 managed to get the ball back um, quite hard on the pitch a few times, which is one one of the things that one of his strengths. Um, we we discussed last week. We sort of sort of not to forget the job that Jao Mario does 
for them, Fika. And I think, yeah, this game was a, a good example of that. And uh, finally, Koshi was out as well. Two assists. I, I, I know they all grew in confidence as the second half progressed. And he got a bit more forward and found himself some good spaces where he was able to make some passes. That's when he sort of looks at his best, isn't it? When he's that 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 far, a bit higher up the pitch, but it's close to the goal. So um, that was that was good to see as well. Um, but it's 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 all really, really good signs for Benfica at the moment. And yeah, and the tight end with the title race, you know. You may. I'm leaning towards them being the favourites at the moment. I mean, Barney, I was I was going to end on exactly that that kind of point. You know, it's great signs for Benfica playing well, scoring lots of goals, the best players in good form, um, and yeah, they certainly look like a formidable force going into the the last part of the season, which is going to be really interesting to keep an eye on. Um, all right, well, there were plenty of other great games to talk about. We're going to do two more. Uh, on this podcast and I want to talk about for me Barney the biggest upset of the weekend which was Vittoria losing 2-0 at home to Casapia. now for Casapia, this is the first time they've won two consecutive games all season last weekend they caused again something of an upset by beating Aruka who were at that point on paper a better side and better form um this week, however, they went one better, in my opinion, and they defeated fifth-placed Victoria away at the Estadio de Alfonso Enriques, which is a pretty intimidating place to go for any team. Um, Victoria themselves now without a win in three games. Um, I don't think we really predicted this result, Barney. I can't remember exactly what we said on the preview show last week, but I don't think we predicted uh, this result. The thing I'm interested in is, is should we now be paying more attention to Casapia because it's two very good results in quick succession. Yeah, I think perhaps we should be. I think, um, yeah, I thought this was a really, really good display. Um, it was nice to see Pablo Roberto um, playing further forward. He's a player who looks really good for me in, in midfield, 24-year-old Brazilian. Um, but in this game, he was sort of given the licence to, to play up near, near Clayton, created the goal for Clayton with a really smart pass. And then his, his goal was really well taken and sat um, is it Cesar down for Vittoria? I mean, whenever Bruno Varela isn't in goal for Vittoria, they just look at shambles. And I don't know if that's just whether that is because of Bruno Varela, or you know, he obviously makes some difference to that background, but they just look, yeah, looks all over the place. And I thought, um, well, Clayton's in a nice bit of form as well. He's he's had a mm. few goals this year, so yeah, this is um this is good for Casabia because they've they've they sort of lost lost themselves this season. They haven't done so well last year, and there's still good players in there, and then, and and for them to get these two big results and yeah, particularly away from home at Victoria, that's not an easy place to go and get two goals. So they did really well in this game. Well, one thing I wanted to do this week, Barney, was I thought it was worth clarifying Casabia's managerial situation because last week we were we were both a bit unsure about what was actually going on, and I don't think many people are aware of sort of well. People be forgiven for not keeping a close eye on man- on Casapia's managerial situation, but um, just to bring people up to speak, so I did clar- did want to clarify this. So Casapia obviously done very well under Philippe Martins last season, and he became quite a respected figure, I suppose. You know, he was seen as quite a promising up and coming Portuguese manager. Um, but they let him go after a fairly slow start this season, and he was replaced by Pedro Moreira, who had managed Torriens previously and been an assistant manager at Roma, 
Shakhtar Donetsk, Braga, Pashtafreya and Porto all under Paolo Fonseca. But he only lasted 11 games and was replaced two games ago by Gonzalo Santos. He's 37 years old. Obviously, the current Casapia manager, his only previous coaching experience was being Casapia's assistant manager under both Felipe Martins and Pedro Moreira this season. So he's been promoted from within. He's only been at the club this season and it's his first coaching of any kind, really. Obviously, a very inexperienced manager, 37 years old, only retired as a player in 2021. But two wins in his first two games as a senior manager in the Primera Liga, clearly doing something right. It's that typical new manager bounce. Now they will have more tests to come. But I think winning 2-0 away from home against Vitoria, that's a pretty big test for any team in the Primera Liga, especially for a young manager taking over a very, very, a side really struggling. And he's got two big results in his first two games. Um, I have to say, for the first time this season, I'm looking forward to keeping an eye out for Casapia's next game because I think there is something interesting going on. It might not last. Of course, it might not. You know, we've seen it happen before where these bubbles burst quite quickly, but it's definitely an interesting time for for Casapia. And, and you're absolutely right. It was a really good performance in a really tough game. Yeah, and I think one thing that's, that's worked well for them perhaps is um, sort of going back to this five... Two free formation, which was so uh, synonymous with Felipe Martins, and brings out the best in Lelo and Lorazabal, uh, the, the fullbacks. I think Ruben Lemirez as well had a, a, a decent game as well. You know they've got. Well, I, I, let's let's mention that Shamba chance, the, the centre back getting on the pitch by himself and just just hitting the post after a ridiculous run and great pace. Um, so you, look, it's it's something we've always said about Casapia. They've got a great backline, um, good fullbacks. And and now it looks like you know they're finding the the key attacking players to to, to push them on in, in playing Roberto and as I mentioned Lamiras having a good aiming and Clayton being a, a really decent striker for this league so um, yeah big moment for them and then and, and then Vittorio Albert I think oh, I don't know, I think last time I spoke quite a lot about um, you know perhaps they struggle against teams who defend well and as, as we just said Casapiro a great defensive team uh, when they're when they're, they're, their centre-backs are playing well and, and they struggled in that um, I think it's I think their defensive issues were quite obvious as well and I thought they they just looked quite out of place um, you know they, they were they were able to be drawn out of position by by the by Casapiro and it just looked messy and and that's something that Prochet had seemed to have sorted out when he first came in with, with that, that you know his, his his back line but yeah they'll be very disappointed and they'll be very disappointed with the, the the last few results as well they need to they need to sort things out quickly because they don't want to go over in a bit of a rut because uh you know mm. that, that end of the table isn't as as safe as it always has been for them yeah absolutely and like i said it was uh they haven't won in three games now. i think it's two two losses and a draw in their last three games and only three points ahead of more ends, which, you know, they're so, uh, not that long ago we were talking about them overtaking Braga and now we're talking about them looking over their shoulder at sixth place. So um, not the best place to be in. I think just uh, the most obvious stat, but one that really just stood out to me was Vittoria had 29 shots compared to Casapia's nine. But Casapia had six shots on target and Vittoria only had four. 
So, you know, that in itself paints such a picture of this game. It was a a, a wasteful game by by Pretoria where they were just really sloppy, really not in it. I mean, look, my my temptation was to say, oh, maybe this was an off day for Victoria, but have they had three off days in a row now? Well, you know, we'll see. They were they were they played really well against Benfica. They got that two two. They then followed that up with a disappointing two one loss to Portimonense, and now this very disappointing two 0 loss to Casapia. They can't make a habit of this, Barney. They can't make a habit of losing in this way. They need to get back to what they were doing before, which was uh, playing well and winning because they were they were on for something really good this season, and you don't want to let that slide. No, but we also shouldn't forget that the, the quality of squad they have. I know we, we've, we've praised individuals in the past, and but I think um, it, it doesn't take much. You know, arguably, you, you could say the players in that Casa. You could ask how many of those Casa player players would walk into the Victoria team, and and it's well, if if you were to make a, a combined eleven, let's say, you wouldn't be so in favour of Victoria. I think that's one thing we do have to bear in mind. But still, um, they are. Being at home as well, you know that this was a this was this was a, a surprise result. But I'm I'm, I'm happy for Casapia, and I'm looking forward to see how they go for the rest of the season. Absolutely. Um. All right. Well, let's finish with one more game. Um. Not only the most insane game of the weekend, but one of the craziest of the season so far. Uh, as Vizela and Estoril played out a game for the ages, uh, in rain-soaked conditions on a uh, really muddy pitch. It made it all that bit more epic. Um. Although things were pretty tame for the most part, with Vizela taking a somewhat surprising but well-deserved 2-0 lead at home up until about the 80th minute when things really started to get crazy. Two goals in two minutes from Estoril stunned the Vizela players uh, and then Estoril thought they'd absolutely nicked it in the last minute. They had three minutes of stoppage time to go when Rafik Gaitan scored one of the best solo goals you'll see this season to make it 3-2. They thought they'd completed an incredible comeback, but there was to be one last twist in the tail as Lebedenko, a player who I don't think we've ever mentioned before on the Noble Football Head podcast, uh, the Vizela right back, headed home an equaliser in the 96th minute, which saw the game end 3-3. Um, an insane end to the game, an incredible last 15 minutes or so. Um, as a neutral, we loved it. But I had to take a step back and ask the question, Barney, will either team really be satisfied with this result? It really does feel like two points dropped for both teams. Yeah, I think we saw that at the full time. Both teams just looked really deflated. Um, this was, you know, they they both needed the points and to, to share almost felt like it was pointless free. Um, I wanted to talk about Sendal because that was two goals in this game. It's now 13 goals for the season. Um He's 26 years old and he's, where did he come? Was it French second division or was it third mm-hmm. division? But I, I, the reason I wanted to talk to you about him because I feel like we, we always highlight the fact that he scored. We've never really talked about him in much detail. I mean, and I was just thinking like, I was going to ask you like, do you think he's on the Fran Navarro level of like warranting a big move? Or like, you know, it's even like, a, you know, when Peter Musa was at a Bovista, you know, does he, because part of me thinks he's a, he's a, He's, he's a conscious house sort of striker. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like that that build that you know he he was so good with his runs and his movement for for that, that, that and that beautiful assist from Queener. You know that was a that was a really good goal. Um, he's finished all sorts of ways. There was a diving header in this game. There's been a bicycle kick a few weeks ago. You know he's got that power in his shot as well. 
I, I don't know. It's, it's just feels like the right place at the right time, maybe, and maybe it wouldn't translate in a big group. But looking at him, he's he's got everything really to, to, to you know to succeed. I I I just really like him. I, I don't know what you think. No, I'm absolutely I'm absolutely on the same page, and it, it, you know. Mazzella have been dreadful all season and, and this guy has been a complete diamond in the rough. I think he'll go down as the signing of the season and um you know, I, I'm willing to sort of put my put my neck out put my neck out there. I think, you know, if for example Simon Banza moved on from Braga at the end of the season, I think Ascend would be a really good option as a as a replacement. I think he, for me, Barney, is a is a dark horse to be a striker that could move to any of the top clubs in Portugal, and I think he would he would score a lot of goals for any club. Obviously, Fran Navarro did it for for longer, did it for a couple of seasons. Although well, that move obviously didn't work out, but I think in terms of talent and ability, Samuel Ascend is a really exciting striker. One of the one of the most interesting players in the league for me at the moment. You know, we made a joke about it on on the last podcast about uh, Samuel Ascend scoring a consolation goal for Vizela in a five one defeat, being the most um, being the most predictable thing in Portuguese football at the moment, I think, you know, although that was a, a bit of a laugh, it kind of highlighted the impact that he's been having in Vizela in that he has been head and shoulders above everyone else in that team and he has almost been playing his own game at times. But actually, one thing I did want to talk about in this game um, was about the fact that Vizela now seems to have at least one or two other players able to contribute on a similar level to ascend I don't think it's a surprise that in this game they scored three goals in a single Premier League game for the first time this season they've not scored three goals in a game this season before um, and for me it was a player that you highlighted last week that that made a difference Domingos Kina on loan from Watford formerly of West Ham I think he showed real quality in this game I also think Samu a player that we're familiar with um, played really well but we know that Ascent has the quality, but like I mentioned, too often he's been the only player in, in the Vizela 11 capable of, of of making a difference. Now they seem to have one or two more players stepping up to help Ascend make that difference. And I don't think it's any surprise that two of their best results this season, well, excuse me, Almost two of their best results this season, because I was almost counting this as a win. <laughs> two, almost two of their best results this season have come since the January transfer window and, and the arrival of those players. Um, I think that win against Shavs a couple of weeks ago was a fantastic win, well deserved. And you know, obviously, we no favoritism. We don't take sides in this podcast. I think it would have been great for them to get this result against. Estoril, perhaps it did show that they still have a long way to go and that the scars of the first half of the season do run deep because with 2-0 up, with 80 minutes to go, you've got to be able to see the game out and obviously they just kind of collapse and even getting the draw was, they're lucky to get it. Um, but it was 80 minutes of really good performance against a decent team um, and if they can play like that first 80 minutes more often for the rest of the season and sustain it, then... Um, I'm going to say it, they've got a very good chance of getting out of the relegation battle, which I think is something that people didn't think was was possible just a few day, games ago. Yeah, no, I think they've certainly um, started to come to life um, with these new these new signings. I mean, I, one thing I did feel, because, uh, you know, the rain was lashing down this game and the pitch got absolutely battered. And um, I felt like Estra was first two goals to, to get it back to 2-2. 
were actually helped by the state of the pitch. Like the first one, the sort of the head yeah. doesn't bounce and the keeper sort of, and then, uh, yeah, just in that quagmire around the area. And then the second one as well, like it, I didn't know if the, when the cross came in, the, um, you know, once again, the pitch sort of helped the, uh, the astral play get in there. But then Rafi Gaitan gets the ball and dribbles past everyone like he's playing you know, on a carpet in his living room. <laughs> Do you know what it's I mean? it's like, amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> Like, I can't be making excuses for the pitch when he's just done that because that was that was ridiculous. And I think um, in this game, he completed seven dribbles, which is a record in the league, but it's also the third time that he's done that himself this season. Um, he's just an absolute magician. And uh, uh, yeah, it, it's. I think I think you spoke really well about Fazella's performance in this game and sort of where they are. It, it, I do feel like Estrell were perhaps... A little lucky to get the point, maybe if, like I mentioned, with the the, some, the first two goals. But then, and then, and then you just think like it's, it's something I've, I've talked about so many times about Rafi Kurtan, but it just feels like you know when you've got a player like him in your team, how can you not be doing better? And uh, and and you know, he, I guess only what, a, a single player can really do so much by himself. Um, but it, you know, because he he's just a hell of a talent, and to see Astral struggling, you know, with some of those other players that they've got, it just you know, then maybe there is something really underlying the wrong that that club. You know, despite you know, we talk about Vizela making improvements. They've brought in Jao Basso to help support the defence, which they they've arguably needed. But yeah, it's it's a bit of a. I, I start, I'm finding harder and harder to sort of understand and and, mm. and work out what they can do to to turn things around. Yeah, two wins in in ten games for Estoril now. Five losses, three draws. Um, they started so well under Vasco Siabra. And I don't want to say it, Barney, but we have said that before about Vasco Siabra teams. <laughs> but I'm not prepared yet to write off um, this Estoril team. Like you say, there's still talent in that squad. Um, and I think there's still the opportunity for them to uh, to play well and get, get more points on the table. Um, all right, I think that is the last game that we have uh, time to cover. Um, but it was so much great football. It almost feels a shame that we can't cover uh, Aruka, who came from behind against Family Cal to win 3-2 on Friday night. What an amazing game that was. Um, even games with perhaps less interesting scorelines, but Morowens beat Varenz 1-0 away from home. Um, and, uh, of course, Boa Vista playing Braga tonight, a game we won't be able to cover. An incredible weekend of Primera Liga football. As always, we will be previewing Jornada 24 of the Premier League season on our Patreon-exclusive preview podcast, which you can uh, get access to by becoming a Longball Football Socio on Patreon for just £1 a month. Uh, there is a link in the description of this podcast to do that if you so wish. Um, and we'll be very pleased if you did. Um, but I think, Barney, that just leaves me to say for another week. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you next week.